we are going to start a message series. We're going to call this Life Starts Now. <laughs> Life Starts Now. And it's because we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, one of the, one of the books in the New Testament. And, um, let me just make a few comments, just to give you a little bit of context of, of some of these terms that we're using. Your, your Bible, and I just encourage you to, to, to get in the habit of carrying a Bible. Some of you prefer a digital Bible, that's fine. I'm a paper Bible guy, I just, I just prefer it. That's just kind of old school. Your Bible is divided into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament's 39 books, the New Testament's 27 books. The Old and New Testament together are our Bible. It's not a book, it's a library of 66 books. The Old Testament is also, for the Jewish people, it's their scriptures. They call it their Bible as well. These are the same terminology. The New Testament is the life and ministry starting from Jesus and moving forward. Uh, so this book is, we are what we call people of the book. This book is, is foundational and instrumental in our, not only just kind of guidance, but it's how the Lord speaks to us. It's the living word of God. Now all, at the beginning of the New Testament, there's four books, we call them Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all named after the author of those individual books. The first three, we call them synoptic. It just means they're more of a, like a synopsis of the ministry of Jesus. The fourth one is a little more theologically driven. Two of the Gospels tell the birth uh, of Jesus and moving forward. All four tell about his life, ministry, death, and resurrection. The word gospel simply means good news. It's out of the Old English, which was a translation from Latin, which was a translation from the original Greek, euangelion, which meant the good telling or the good news or the good proclaiming, good story, kind of has a lot of meanings in that, but gospel just means um, the good spell, the good telling, good story. And so when we say gospel means good news, that is literally what it means, good news. Now, Mark's gospel, the one we're looking at, is the earliest um, gospel, and it is um, the shortest. It's kind of the most action-packed. It's kind of the fastest-paced, and and it was probably written by the guy called Mark. Uh, there's been some debate about this through history, but um, Mark was probably written by a guy named John Mark, and if you read in the book of Acts, you can learn about Mark. Mark got himself in a little bit of trouble with the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul didn't like Mark for a while. They had a major clash, and Paul says, I don't want to work with that guy. I mean, these are real people dealing with real issues and real conflict, and eventually over the course of his ministry, you see Paul and it became very close to John Mark and came to depend on him very closely. John Mark was probably discipled by Peter, and so what we, when we read the Gospel of Mark, it's kind of Mark accounting as Peter provided the eyewitness accounts to him. It's written as though someone kind of got the first word out. It's sort of like the news story, you know, in the old days, uh, in radio, we call talking about taking the story off the wire. I mean, just kind of like fresh in. There's not as much detail. There's not as much kind of packed around it. But it gets you to the story and it moves quickly from, from event to event. Not as maybe theologically uh, refined as the others, um, but written early. And likely written in the city of Rome for a Roman audience, Christians and non-Christians alike. Uh, the, the, uh, so the language and the, the way it's portrayed is for that audience. So sometimes kind of Hebrewic things are explained in the text for the benefit of the readers. 
But you've got to understand that Mark is writing to those coming out of a secular culture and or a pagan culture, believing in many different gods. And so that's the thing about this audience that's reading this. And I want you to, we, we have to kind of put ourselves in their shoes a little bit. The readers of, of Mark initially would have been people who lived in awe of natural and supernatural wonders. I mean, when the sun came up every morning, it's like, boy, how does amazing, how does that happen? You know, maybe some gods carried across the sky. And, and, and just kind of very, kind of a keen sense of the supernatural, a, a spiritual realm beyond what we can see beyond the material world. And so they lived kind of in fear of or, or subject to the whims of the gods is how they saw their life. And you have in this book nearly every chapter, there's 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark, nearly every chapter dis- includes some kind of display of God's great power, um, a, a demonstration of his, his authority over you know, law, over religion, over nature, over demons, over our bodies, over sickness, over money, over the natural world. Mark just keeps bringing that. Jesus has authority over all those things. And um, it's important for us because, you know, for a culture that lived in constant awareness and even fear of the spiritual realm, they got, they understood that they did not have power over those things. And now you introduce Jesus who has all power and all authority over everything. So it really brings to light, there's something different happening here. And it makes clear that, that while we don't have, you know, our own authority over those things, Jesus does and we can submit to him. And so it helps us see beyond kind of the material world and see Jesus' authority over both the material and the spiritual realm. All right? So that's kind of your introduction to the whole series, introduction to the Gospel of Mark, a little bit of understanding. We're going to read just the first three verses of Mark chapter 1. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, as is our custom here, out of respect for God's Word. If you are able, please stand. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 1, says this, This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Your translation may say, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Let's be seated together. We thank the Lord for his word today. So as we spend the next several months, and seriously, some of you are thinking, ah, uh, months? I can't, I can't handle several minutes on one subject. Uh, I'll do my best to keep you with me. Alright? And, and you, you do the same for me. Um, but as we spend the next several months in the book, I just want you to do all that you can to, to try to hear the good story if afresh. Because too often, here's the problem we have. We we get super familiar. If you've been around church for a long time, or if you've been around these things, you're familiar with this. Like, oh, here we go again. Yep, no, that's or yep, no, that, no. And, and it's very easy to just kind of shut off. And we want to kind of do the hard work, kind of the discipline of like, I want to hear it fresh. Lord, I want you to speak to me fresh today. I want to hear it again. And... Um, Sometimes the gospel, even though it's good news, has not come across as good news. Sometimes we've presented it as kind of heavy news or bad news. 
Um, and it, 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 it's too often, maybe we've emphasized just how corrupt we are in our, our kind of sin nature. And uh, we talk about how like we are to fall and fail. And, and that's, all those things are true. But it can contribute to sort of a fear of what's in here. And so we tend to avoid the Bible because we're afraid that it's going to beat me up for my sins and my failures. And I, I look, I know that our culture is not very willing to admit that we're flawed, that we're broken, that we're sinful, that we need a Savior. But every honest person, everyone who's kind of candid and honest, knows we are messed up and our world is messed up. We get it. Intuitively, we know. And I, I think it's just really important that we understand that the good news is good. And we start with the good news that in spite of our sin, God's made a way for us to be righteous. That's the, that's the starting point. God has a way for you to be righteous in Him. So, for example, the Old Testament starts with good news. The good news is that God created you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He, he created the world for you to enjoy. And all that is given to us before we're told that a problem happened. Sin entered the world. And then we see, as we read through the Old Testament, how our natural default to sin separates us from God, pulls us further and further away from God. That's what sin does. And the Old Testament then demonstrates the inability of law, of keeping the rules, the inability of the law to make us right with God, no matter how hard we try. For example... You know, if you look at the, the Ten Commandments, kind of that main code of, of, of law in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments given by God, it's good, but all it does is prove our own sinfulness. I'm just going to get a little bit of a rabbit trail here for a minute, because I want, I just want you to understand the basis of the starting point of good news. See, the Ten Commandments are an ideal code for a civil society. So societies that have kind of been based on or built on promoting the Ten Commandments are societies that have prospered, that their citizens have lived in safety, and they've lived in freedom. That's, that's built into God's way of doing things. Uh, the risk in promoting the Ten Commandments, you know, for example, saying every you know, public building ought to have the Ten Commandments put on the wall. And so the risk of promoting that is that we may unwittingly suggest that by keeping the Big Ten, we're now going to be made right with God. That's going to please God. That that's going to be satisfied. If only I could keep the Ten Commandments, then I'm good. I'm basically saved. I'm righteous. But Jesus taught that even if you could keep the Ten Commandments technically perfect, you've still broken the laws. You're still in sin. And so, uh, you know, Jesus says, for example... Hey, yeah, you've never slept with anybody besides your spouse, but if you've thought about it, if you looked at somebody lustfully, you're guilty of adultery. Yeah, you've never actually taken someone's life, murdered somebody, but you you blew up at your family member or your brother or sister, or your friend, and you cussed them out. You've murdered, you've committed murder, and so on. Jesus kind of unpacks that, oh no, we cannot, no matter how well we keep technically the law we can't keep it and so it's really important for us to understand that the ten commandments in a sense define righteousness too narrowly just keep these rules and you'll be fine and then jesus says yeah but you can't keep the rules even if you think you're keeping the rules you're not keeping the rules and so we've got to grasp that that 
your righteousness is not based on your behavior. You're, God doesn't accept you because you're a good person, because you try hard. Right? It's, it's by, it's salvation comes only by God's grace through your faith in Jesus for salvation. Hebrews 8.13 says that the law is actually obsolete. It's out of date. It doesn't apply any longer. So I'm, I'm really sensitive when we, if we, you know, when we promote the Ten Commandments too heavily, I'm sensitive to that because I want to say, look, I understand it's good, it's given by God, but let's be really, really careful that we don't suggest keep these ten and you're good. Jesus did not come to kind of endorse or promote good behavior. Jesus came to invite us to receive God's grace. And in so doing, here's what happens. As you receive the righteousness of Christ, you're drawn to do the very things that are taught in the law. You're drawn to be obedient. You're drawn to not commit adultery. You're drawn to not worship false gods. That happens as we put our faith in Jesus. And so um, just be really, really careful how we use the Ten Commandments because it's very easy to mix law and grace. The Apostle Paul warned about that in Galatians. Yeah, we're saved by grace, but eh, you should kind of keep the laws too. And Paul says, no way. It's by grace alone. And then you live out of that, out of the righteousness that you've already been given. All right, that's enough on that. So the gospel, my point is that the gospel, right, the good news has to be good news. The good news is good news. And according to Mark's introductory sentence, you could even say it's like a kind of a title for his book. The gospel, I would say this, the gospel is good news because of who Jesus is. The gospel is good news because of who Jesus is. That's kind of what Mark's introducing to you. Verse 1, this is the good news about Jesus. The good news is the Jesus story. Why is it good? Well, a fictional story. If your favorite movie or book you like to read, whatever, it's, it's got a great plot. It's got some good character development. You know, it just kind of moves along. This story is good because of who Jesus is, the person of Jesus and his identity. And then Mark gives us his identity. The good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The Messiah simply means the one promised by God, foretold, said he would come and, and bring deliverance to us, bring salvation to us. And I think, like I said, I think every honest person knows we need a rescue. I don't think that's ever changed. Uh, and, and our desire for a savior is why persuasive leaders, sometimes evil leaders, can rise to power. It's how you can get a Hitler or how you can get a Marx or a, or a Stalin or a Pol Pot because we just like, yeah, I, 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 I want to be saved from kind of the mess that we're in. Take us somewhere. And so out of that, you get sometimes very uh, kind of evil people rise to power because we want to be saved from what's going on around us. And we want Messiahs. And then he goes on to say, but Jesus is more than just a Messiah. He's more than him. He is the son of God, not a son of the gods, as the Romans might have assumed or understood. But the ultimate authority as God Almighty. And so the Jesus story, the gospel is is here that your faith is like no other. It's not like, oh, you believe in Jupiter and you believe in this one and that one. No, it's it's unlike anything else. And so therefore, Jesus is worthy of all your attention and all your allegiance and all your faith. And so Mark isn't just telling kind of a historical narrative about somebody. He's bringing you truth. 
And as Mark sets the story up for us, we realize that there's something crucial. Good news needs good news messengers. See, before he can even begin to talk about Jesus, you see it in verses 2 and 3, he's got to talk about this guy named John the Baptist. The voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus. We'll get into that more next week. Mark himself is a messenger, introducing us to a messenger, John, who himself was promised by a messenger, Isaiah. That's why he says, verse 2, just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Messenger, messenger, messenger. Why does it matter? It matters because this thing. If you could take notes, you can write this one down. The Jesus story always needs a messenger. The Jesus story always needs a messenger. See, what, what we're going to particularly discover in the Gospel of Mark is that he's going to keep telling us about the miraculous works of Jesus. He wants us to hear. He wants us to grasp the amazing things that, that God has done. Through Jesus. He, he's going to tell us about how Jesus heals bodies and calms storms and delivers people from demonic oppression. The point is that someone has to tell the Jesus story. And guess what? That someone is you and me. Including a young friend of mine, Janae. Janae, I'm going to invite you to, to join me here on the stage. See, we tell the story of Jesus because it's life-changing and lives changed when Jesus is invited to be in charge. So Janae is a freshman at Clovis High, and you got a pretty active life, but some amazing things that God's done, and I asked if you would tell your story, and you agreed. So thanks for doing that. Go ahead. The floor is yours. I've had anaphylaxis allergies my whole life. I'm allergic to eggs, milk, peanuts, pears, watermelon, cashew, hazelnut, or any food that may have been processed at a facility that uses these ingredients. In fifth grade, I signed up for a food study in L.A. to desensitize me from my allergies. It was an extensive three-year food study that would make me eat a very strict diet all day long and be introduced to the foods I was anaphylaxis to. I would have to carry a kit of life-saving medicine, similar to those used in the ICU, in case I had any anaphylaxis issues along the way. The whole process seemed like a handful, and the fact that I would have to carry around what I think of as death medicine 24-7 wasn't really helping. But I knew that if I did all of that, then I would be as close as I could be to being normal. I wouldn't be cured, but I would be considered in remission and would be able to eat many foods I was once allergic to. Fast-forwarding to seventh grade, here's a little glimpse into my life. I'd eat lunch by myself in the office with the nurse. The whole thing was kind of humiliating. Every time somebody came into the office, there was me, friendless, just sitting with the nurse eating my lunch. I could barely even take a step outside without freaking out because of the crazy amount of peanut butter on campus. I called my mom every single day at lunch crying that this was too hard. In elementary school, I only had to avoid the cafeteria, not the entire campus. I had no idea how to make friends at lunch if I couldn't get within 10 feet of anyone eating peanut butter. During that really rough patch, my mom gave me a bracelet that said faith is greater than fear that I wore every day and still today, trying to tell myself God was right there with me at lunchtime and that there was no reason to fear because I wasn't alone. Once I finally made it outside into civilization with some new friends, someone dropped peanut butter right on my backpack. I spent a bit of time back in the office eating my lunch, calling my mom until I was confident enough to go back out with my friends. 
That crazy feeling of being surrounded by peanut butter and trying to trust that it was all going to be okay became my normal. That summer, I started the Southern California Food Allergy Institute in L.A. It had been about two and a half years of waiting, and it was finally my turn. I was so excited. I had been to the preliminary appointment and was just getting ready for the first appointment to start my treatment. Right off the bat, we had problems getting down to that appointment. I had pneumonia off and on for about three months, and I couldn't get healthy enough to go down and continue the study. I had chronic asthma and sinus infections. I was referred to four different specialists specialists to get, try and get well, but it never really worked. I also ended up having two allergic reactions to two antibiotics I have taken many times. This prompted all my doctors to stop the L.A. study and go to a doctor here in Fresno that did oral medicine challenges. I had to start that right away for my safety. This is where I believed God wanted me all along, but at this point, I had no idea. I had my first oral challenge to medicine this past spring, hoping to pass so that I could start back up in L.A. I passed it. Along with passing this oral challenge, all of my sinus and asthma issues disappeared almost like they were never there in the first place. I stopped catching every cold and was finally well enough for L.A. after seven months of being constantly ill. God was just getting started, and that miraculous change was just the first of many mysterious changes for me. I then did my second oral challenge, and I passed it again. I had knocked two medicine allergies off of my list. No one really understood why I had problems with these medicines just months before, but it was a big relief to not have the stress that if I got sick, I would have a serious problem. My parents were ready to book the appointment in L.A., but for some reason, the doctor here in Fresno gave me a much greater sense of trust. God was telling me not to go down to L.A. and was showing me his path. After two oral medicine challenges that had been extremely nerve-wracking, I had built a trust with this doctor, and I knew I was ready to try the food challenges here in town. I stayed in Fresno and did food challenges to the foods L.A. was still saying I was allergic to, but Fresno doctors were starting to think differently. My first food challenge was to milk. I was not nervous at all the week before the challenge, but the second I took the first dose of milk, my ear and throat were immediately itchy. The ghost pains continued the entire appointment. I had the worst stomachache ever from the milk and was getting kind of nauseous from the taste of it. I was getting to the point where I really wanted to stop and end it all, even though I was so close to the end. We had already been there for four hours, and I only had two doses left, but the ghost pains were really getting to me. I was praying that this awful feeling that I was going to die from an anaphylactic reaction would just go away and that this challenge would be over and I'd pass this test. My dad went out to the store to get some graham crackers to help wash out the taste of the milk and hopefully help with my stomach ache. It was like the second I put the cracker in my mouth, the stomach ache was never there and my ghost pains just disappeared. I ended up passing the test and knocking my milk allergy off of my list. With the confidence that I had built from passing the milk challenge, my parents scheduled a date for my peanut food challenge. Unlike before, my milk challenge, I was not calm. I was really, really nervous. I had given myself the idea that I was going to die on Thursday, the day of my appointment. I had never even smelled a peanut or even eaten something that may be processed in a facility that uses peanuts, let alone eat one. I was a wreck. I was crying at swim practice, and some of my cross-country teammates had noticed that I wasn't 100% there. My friends said that they were praying for me, and I had a lot of friends from church, my mom's friends, and my family praying. It was like a miracle because the second I walked into that room where I would be challenged, I wasn't nervous at all. I was like a whole other person. There wasn't a single ghost pain, stomach ache, or really any nerve of any kind. I ate peanuts every 15 minutes for about four hours in all different increments, and I passed. It made no sense to my family why I was so calm while doing something that I was freaking out about. 
A couple weeks after the appointment, my mom showed me the verse, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7 It was definitely a peace beyond understanding that day. All of those prayers were really were answered. See if you prayed for me that day? Thank you. I walked into that doctor's office without ever being closer than 10 feet to a peanut and left being able to eat, touch, and smell them. It was absolutely life-changing. I felt so relaxed and so free. I wasn't just in remission. I was completely done with my peanut allergy. At my next food challenge, I had to knock out a few tree nuts. I ate Nutella and cashews for a few hours, and that wasn't making me too nervous. I felt fine and passed. The last thing I had to do at that appointment was rub egg on my arms. It was really scary to have something smeared all over my hands and arms that I've been told my whole life to completely avoid. When the doctor finally came in and cleared me of touching eggs, I left feeling really free of worrying stress. I started the summer off with a total of 11 allergies and ended it with two. Although I will probably never be able to eat eggs or take penicillin, I am thrilled with what God has done in my life with my food allergies. Since then, I have tried so many new foods that I have never been able to have before such as macaroni and cheese, ice cream, candy bars, barbecue potato chips, Cool Whip, peanut butter, granola, cheese, yogurt, bagels, and there are so many more foods that I want to try. Okay, now you've made all <laughs> God steered my family in a totally different direction that, went, that we had planned, a road no doctor wanted to take my entire life because my allergies had been too severe. A path no doctor has ever offered in the past 14 years because I was so allergic it wasn't a safe option. We no longer had to go down to L.A. once a month, spend thousands of dollars, and carry around a pouch of ICU medicine. I finished in one single summer. There were questions in everybody's mind. Everyone was wondering what had changed. How come the doctors in L.A. thought so differently than the doctors here in Fresno? L.A. seemed to think I was still deathly allergic from the blood work I had drawn just prior week prior to that appointment. Nobody really understood why I had allergic reactions to antibiotics just months before, and then oral tested them, and everything was okay. The whole thing was really confusing, but what was clear was that every time we got ready to go down to L.A. for an appointment, God kept redirecting us, not once, but many, many times. I have never felt God working in my life so clearly as I did during this experience. I could see him working during every appointment I went to and also guiding us away from L.A., It was crazy to see that the plans that he had made, that we had made, were being changed by God because he had a different plan for us. God knew he had healed me from my food allergies, and I didn't need to go down to L.A. to be desensitized and put in remission. His plan was to show me I was no longer allergic to eggs, milk, peanuts, hazelnut, cashews, pear, watermelon, sephtonir, zithromax, and that I was healed. L.A. didn't know, we didn't know, but God knew. Somehow doctors up here were seeing something in my charts that indicated my allergies had changed. They didn't understand it either. It reminds me of the verse, verse Proverbs 16.9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And that's exactly what happened. God provided me with beyond understandable peace and guided my family's footsteps on a journey that we thought was so perfectly mapped out. An incredibly scary path that we breezed through without panic or complications. God had helped me overcome the hardest obstacle in my life by healing me from my food allergies all by himself. I didn't need the food study. I just needed prayer from all of you, and I am the living proof that God is alive and he does work miracles.
the good story, the Jesus story, depends on messengers who will then tell the story again and again. I guarantee this week you're thinking a little differently about some of the challenges you face. You think, well, wait, I just heard an incredible testimony of God at work. Maybe I can trust God for my challenge as well. Whatever it is. Janae, we're just so thankful for you being willing to do that. Worked really hard and prepared that. Give her one more hand. She deserves that. You see, as you're going to hear more of that kind of thing as we get through this gospel story. Even though it happened a couple thousand years ago, it's God is still at work. Jesus is still changing lives. And this gospel book is fast-paced. It's filled with action. It's written just the way you'd expect. Someone who's just kind of witnessed everything is going to write stuff down. It's all full of wide-eyed wonder like we are right now about Janae's story. But he begins with John the Baptist because John's presence as a messenger is what got the people's attention on Jesus. See, your, your messaging, being a messenger, gets people's attention on Jesus. Because they may not have looked before. They may not have seen before. And so John was this voice in the wilderness, in his case, literally in the wilderness. But I really believe that he represents for us all the places of wilderness that we may find ourselves in. Janae's family was in a place of wilderness to the point of, of real fear. Like, how are we even going to get through the day? I cannot imagine being a middle schooler and you've got to eat lunch with the nurse every day. Nothing against nurses, but... <laughs> I have a nurse I would love to eat lunch with every day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a place of wilderness. And sometimes it's only in the wilderness that we're ready to finally hear and receive what God is going to do. How Jesus is going to speak to really hear his voice. If you're taking notes, you can write this one down. Listen for the voice in your wilderness. We need to listen for that voice in our wilderness. See, we often ignore, uh, you know, good news until we're at the point of need, till we really like, oh, wow, I have no other options here. But the wilderness, what's the wilderness? The wilderness is that place of stripping our life down, stripping down our self-reliance, coming to that place of need. And we tend to clutter our lives, don't we? We tend to clutter our lives full of anything and everything just to prove that we can do it, that we're self-reliant, that we got it together and, and we, we can make it. We're self-sufficient. We've got self-worth. And we just kind of pack our lives full of all this clutter and I, just, you know, keeping in mind, again, that Mark's gospel is going to be demonstrating Jesus' great authority over all things, all power, all situations. Jesus doesn't intervene in every situation. It's certainly not in our t- the timing we would want him to intervene in every situation. But he has authority over every situation. Excuse me. And we're going to see that those who received healings and miracles through this gospel were at this point of desperation. They had to admit, I, I have no other options. Like, it's Jesus or nothing. 
like I've come to that place where if Jesus doesn't do this, it's, it, it's not going to go well. No power over the situation. No, no hope outside of Jesus. No alternatives. It's what we would call a wilderness scenario. And I would say we want to listen for that voice in the wilderness. That's that, that voice that's going to direct us to Jesus. See that the Jesus story will only make sense when we admit that we have no power over the forces in our lives and in this world and outside of this world. We, we don't have power over circumstances. We certainly do not have power over our own sin and over our need for salvation. We've established that already, that no matter how good you are, it's not enough. And, and, and whatever today, you might you may, you may say, I'm, everything's going great, Brian. I'm fine. That's awesome. You're, you're called to be a messenger, but some of you are in a wilderness today. Some of you are like, I've... I've got stress. I've got financial pressure. I've got debt. I'm overwhelmed with the things I've got. I'm terribly disappointed. I've got a crisis that I'm facing. I've got anxiety. I've lost someone. Whatever it is, you might be at a place where you know that you are in a wilderness. And it may be exactly that place that you need to be so that you can hear the voice that's going to direct you to Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to join us back here on stage. I don't know, as you're just thinking this and processing this this morning, and I would say this, that you're either a messenger already, you already have the good story to tell, or... You might be someone who's needing to hear the good story today. Someone who needs to hear the message. Which are you? Are you the messenger? Or are you the person who needs the message? You're in the wilderness and you need to hear the voice. Will you be faithful as a messenger? Will you still yourself? Will you quiet yourself to hear the voice in your wilderness? Let's pause and pray. Father, I thank you for your word as we, as we've said so many times, but I just would invite as we spend some time kind of reliving Mark's telling of the life and ministry of Jesus that God, our ears would be open afresh to what you want to say. That our mouths would be open to share the story. Lord, I just pray for each person in this room who's come here today and if they just as they reflect, say, God's done this and God's done this. God, would you give them courage to be a messenger for you, to tell the good news, to tell the Jesus story. And Lord, there's other of us in this room. We come here today and we're not at that confident place. We're feeling a crisis in our life. We're overwhelmed with something. We're disappointed with something. We thought you would have come through by now and whatever it is and Lord, we're getting to a place in the wilderness. We're not sure what's going to happen. And God, I pray for, for those for those of us today who are in that place that we would hear the voice that turns us again to Jesus. God, we just thank you that you have authority over all things, that you're active and you're at work. We love you. 
And church, lastly, I just if you're if you've never come to that place of trusting in Jesus for salvation, where you've tried to be a good person and you've worked at it and you tried a little harder and but you've never come to that place of saying, I can't do this. I want to be forgiven of the burden of my sin and guilt, and I want to be free. I'm inviting you today to begin a life with Jesus. It's not it's not complicated. It may or may not be easy. The place of saying, Jesus, I trust you to forgive my sin. I believe that you're the Son of God, the Messiah, that you died and you rose again, and I choose to follow you. If that's you today, if that's if that's the place in your heart where you're saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to give my life to you today, I just invite you to raise your hand and I would just we'll connect after the service and we'll talk about it. And so then for the rest of us, it's, where am I going to go with this good news message today and in the days to come? Lord, we just thank you for what we've heard this morning. We just, I do want to just give you praise as well. We just thank you for a clear testimony from Janae and she's giving you the glory. I just pray that you would just honor her for that, honor her family for that. We just thank you for that. And we look forward to what you're going to continue to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.